You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. Welcome. Welcome back home, baby. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back. Welcome. It's been a minute. Welcome back home. Things look uh they look kinda the same, a little different. This time different in a good way. Yeah. I'm awesome. Welcome back to the Piper Carter Podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter, and I am with one of the most amazing MCs in the game, Queen Heroine. What's up, Queen? Peace, peace, Piper. Excited to be here on this podcast. You've been doing amazing things. So I'm just honored to be here chopping it up. Oh, my God. I, well, thank you. I am so excited because you are, well, you know, we have these terms in hip hop. We say, um you know, pioneer legend, but you don't necessarily fit within that because in the, let's say like in the, in the life of hip hop, right? Like you would kind of be in what, like, like just, I don't want to say like post golden era. Like what is that era called? Like just right after that golden era, but just before all this jiggy stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. I feel like it, it depends on who you ask. It depends on yeah. who really you ask. I, w- I would say that because um, when we think about, you know, hip hop heads think about the idea of the golden era. Traditionally, from my understanding, it's usually like nineties. You know what I mean? Clearly for us, Myself included, there were foundational elements when you think about, you know, KRS-One, you think about, um, you know, EPMD, Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, Slick Rick. I mean, all of that for me, that was probably my personal golden era and just, you know, what inspired me, um, Light, Latifa, Bahamadi, all of that. Um, but it, however... Again, when I when I hear that term golden era, most people refer to it more like the 90s as opposed to like that foundational old school hip hop, which is probably more all of the people along with so many others not mentioned that were, you know, the predecessors of that era, that age. So, I mean, when we do the math and you think early 90s, My brothers put out a project, um, which so shout out Queen Heroine of the Juggernauts. Um, I wasn't on the Claire Blue Skies album, but I was definitely kind of around doing things (laughs) um, lyrically. And so um, their album came out, I want to say it was like 94 94, 96, the latest. It definitely was out by 96. So it's really kind of around that era when we think about um, like uh, um, Talib Kweli, Raucous, Fondalum Records, things like that that were happening where underground hip hop was really at the forefront. My brothers were definitely at the forefront of that movement. Juggernauts was definitely at the forefront of that movement. Dead Prez, um, um, you know, Black Star. I mean, I was there. 
So I wasn't necessarily as visible because it was more like Juggernauts was known as, you know, Breeze Bruin and my other brother. Those are my actual brothers, um, Breeze Bruin and and Slim, AKF Kev Fever. He has so many aliases, um, Fever the Kid, um, B Slim, you know, so it's it's weird because. I don't know. It, it's definitely in the in, in the crux of all of that, you know, like 95, 96. Um, I remember doing um, Wait, the Indelible Albums Wait, um, which was the first Lyricist Lounge Volume 1 that I was featured on, um, along with my brother Breeze. And I may have to pull out the phone and, and double check, but I believe Wait dropped in like 96. Um, or 97. So, you know, it's like, was I part of that kind of sort of year? Um, but then it just wasn't on a mainstream level as far as the the underground artists, if you could look at the platform that way, like the underground artists were, who were seen, seen and heard, heard then, you know, I, it was probably more my brothers. I just happened to be part of it. I was doing things with gypsies too. Uh, shout out to Key Turner and Gongali, which was like um, kind of akin to um, the anomalies. Shout out to the anomalies. So many talented, all of those talented women, um, you know, anomalies would have shows. Uh, gypsies would have shows. But again, it just wasn't at the forefront as far as visibility um, on a mainstream level. But people who knew, knew. Like we were at New Yorkian. We had shows at Tramps, Wetlands. And that was all mid 90s, like mid to late 90s. Definitely. Um, that was definitely that time frame for sure. So to me, when I think golden era, I think like mid 90s, you know, um, personally. Yeah, I guess for me, you know, you, you kind of hit it like golden era for me would be that I would call like the late 80s. Like and mm-hmm. into early nineties, I will call that golden era. And then I was trying to think of like what is that era? Like, cause I was one of those, I was definitely a fan, and I was definitely one of those backpackers, but I definitely was not rapping or anything like that. I was I was, you know, going to the shows and and going to the I, the, the the park, you know, to 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 the mm-hmm. ciphers and stuff, just like there, just like witnessing and just being a fan. I was going to all the all the spots and you know, just just you know, soaking up the culture, if you will. Yeah. And um and and for me, that is a, an, another sort of golden era, like you say, the the underground. And it's so interesting when you're a part of that world, that world is so separated from like that mainstream you know sort of world that that world has its own sort of like you know stars and and this kind of thing and so I always think of the juggernauts you know as as like the pinnacle right like you know the best lyricists and the best you know just artistry and just the way that they were able to um I want to kind of say like transform, you know, mm-hmm. because I think that what they really brought was a um a certain level, right? There's mm-hmm. a certain level of um I want to maybe it's professionalism, you know, maybe it's clarity, you know, I'm not really sure like what the actual word is, but I know that when 
the juggernauts stepped on the scene, like everything changed, if that makes sense. Like, you know, just just the whole I, I can't really explain it to you. It might be something that people that are from <laughs> that scene understand what I'm talking about. But everything yeah, it was just a movement, for sure. Yeah. yeah. They, they just transformed everything. You know, it was the sound, it was the rhyming, it was the style, it was the cadence, it was, and it was the whole package mm-hmm. because, the, you know, they also had really great album artwork, you know, really high level album artwork as well. And usually the underground cats just had, you know, really terrible artwork, no offense, but <laughs> just... I mean, I think there was some really dope artwork that, during that time, but I, but I think it was exactly what you're talking about was that time frame. Like, yeah. um, I think about, um, I think about like Def, Je- um, I'm, uh, what you call it? I'm thinking about LP mm-hmm. and um, LP's artwork, like for the album covers of just Def Jux stuff. And um, it was just, intergalactic space i mean it was just trippy but in a really dope way yeah i think kind of went back to something very artsy um which to me the 70s um definitely kind of encapsulated between the the musical um sound creatively just doing some off the wall funk just dope stuff and then Mm -hmm. um combining it with the visual art um through the album cover you know so because it was definitely that phase of hip-hop where you know it's just more okay well here's a dope picture of me yeah Uh, you know and that was really more the album cover um i feel like I think a lot of the artwork now within the lit, I don't know, I feel like the last 10 years has definitely been going into a real creative space, just visually. Um, Maybe it's the combination of like digital art and things like that that have just advanced. Mm -hmm. But I think it's going back to a place really artsy um, and creative, both with the music um, and with the art, the, the art as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were doing some dope stuff. Um, I say they like, you know, like I said, it's it's a relationship where there was a sense of separation where it was really just my brothers as juggernauts and then collectively all three of us, uh, including DJ Boo as juggernauts as well. There's like phases of juggernauts, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I was I was always part of it. It was just more of a distance because I was the youngest one. So it was just more of um, there wanting to be a sense of separation um, because I was young. My brothers were just like, look, you're a little young. We don't want you, you know, out like this. You know, we're going out late studio sessions, performances. It's it's a different world. And although it was beautiful and it came with a lot of things creatively and being part of that movement, um, being the youngest one, you know, there were limitations to what I could and couldn't do it at that particular time. So. Um, that's why when I, you know, my first year in college, everything kind of shifted and I really got involved, um, a great deal more, uh, just with the group juggernauts. And when we would do shows, then it would be, you know, they were like, okay, you're ready, you know, and, and it became more of a collective effort. We wouldn't put together a formal full length album until, um, use your confusion. Um, but there were things that we were working on. We had the love movement, um, EP, we had WKRP. So we like had done some smaller projects. I, I worked collectively with my brother Breeze on Prince Among Thieves for the Prince Paul album. So like we were doing other things. It just wasn't a full length 
um, Juggernaut's prom that uh, project that reflected all of us until a little bit later on. So stuff was happening. It just wasn't a full collective Juggernaut's album yet. It was just a lot of different collaborative work. And can you talk about how you became an MC? You know your process. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, having. It, it does still go back to my brothers um, in the sense of having, well, I would say it goes back even beyond, even beyond, I was about to say with my brother Breeze Ramen and Kev also Ramen and also in production. Um, I mean, we grew up in the Bronx. And so, you know, I mean, the Bronx is hip hop. Hip hop is the Bronx. It's like, you know, does art imitate life or life imitate art? It's like the same thing when I think about hip hop and 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 the X, it's like interchangeable. So when you think about the origins there, growing up there young, um, although we ended up moving and I moved um, pretty much like early adolescence, but being young, a young kid there, you know, I went to school on Baychester Avenue. I mean, it, it just lived in, you lived and breathed that, you know, I mean, right after school, we watched, I watched Bob Ross and then video music box, like religiously. <laughs> so it's like, that was my daily routine and watching people like special ed and MC light. And, you know, all, I mean, just that was the everyday, that's what we did. And so I would say that initially that that love for hip-hop the introduction and to hip-hop that was just being part of the community that was just being part of my everyday lifestyle and what I did and what my friends did and my brothers did um and then what happened is as I got a little bit older not much older honestly um I, I started rhyming when I was 12 started writing. Um, um, it was like a combination of poetry and verses. Um, also visual art. I'm a visual artist too. And I just got really engrossed in the arts uh, around that time. Um, but yeah, I, I saw my brother by the time I was, so when I was 12, my brother was 16 because we're my youngest brother and I were four years apart. So just to do the math, when when Breeze was 16, 17, he was writing like Lucifer, Clear Blue Skies. Um, he was writing it around that time. It was when he was, I think, in his last year of high school or first year of college. So, um, like I said, even though I wasn't right there in the studio and on the album, I remember going to the studio many nights, even though it wasn't every night. Um, they used to have sessions and like real studios because they had an actual label deal with Electra at the time they were signed. Um, and so I'd go and check them out at, when I was like 13. I'd go to, um, they were at like Chung King, Calliope, like really big dope studios. And so that was kind of my initiation into just that process of um seeing my brother maybe writing rhymes or being or hearing the music before it came out and then hearing it in the studio seeing him record um it you know it was modeled to an extent it, it that was my environment so if it wasn't seeing him um whether it was breeze writing or my other brother kev djing or making beats producing in the house you know um if it wasn't watching beats being made on the SP or EPS, you know, or Akai, 
<laughs> like that was my environment. And so it was kind of hard not to have that, you know, um, translate, you know, shout out to my brother, Breeze Maroon's album, Hindsight. You got a dope joint called Translate It. Let me throw that out there. Um, yeah. So it's like hard not to translate um, when you're there. It's like osmosis. Naturally, it's going to become part of who you are because you're just there and it's in the environment. So I would say the inspiration was there between just environment, being in the Bronx, learning that. And then when I moved or when we moved, um, seeing my brothers really get engrossed in the creative process, being around that. So naturally, I mean, I followed suit. So I started writing rhymes. Um you know, in my little notebook, my little marble <laughs> notebook, um, a couple spiral joints too. We didn't have, I didn't have cell phone or anything like that, obviously at that time. So it was just the hands-on writing um, and just practicing and practicing. I would, you know, share some stuff with my brother, but they didn't know that I was writing for a little while because I felt like I wanted to be sharp enough before I even shared anything my brother kind of recalls the story. One of my homegirls at the time, Tisha, um, she had like a sweet 16. And I think that was one of the first times they may have heard me or he may have heard that I was rhyming. Um, I rhymed at her party. Um, <laughs> he's like, yo, I heard from dudes around the way that you were rhyming, like in a dress. Hilarious. You know, so um, there were stories like that. Um my brothers had to get me into a club locally. I uh, performed one time. I remember Redman was performing and I'm, I was like 13 and they had to get me in because I was so young um, to rhyme, you know, before he came on. Like, you know, he was obviously the headliner. I just got on and maybe did a verse and one of my friends did like a backup dance and one of my homegirls, Brenda. So, I mean, it was just natural. I think that the progression would be there. Um and so I just, I kind of just took to it, honestly, and just started writing and polishing my craft until I was sharp enough to pull out the sword, you know? Were you freestyling back then? Um, I got really heavy into freestyling, um, I would say around my, maybe my senior year of high school into my first couple of years of college. And then it continued just because at that point, um, it was serious for me. It was no longer just like, oh, okay, let me try to do this. Like, like I said, I put out, I, I recorded weight when I was 17. So, um, on the, on the, uh, lyricist lounge, I believe I was 17 when I did that. So for me, my first year and my first couple of years in college, my last year or so in high school, I was definitely freestyle. And I was also part of that group Gypsies, um, which had my homegirl MFW, who was from the Bronx, um, who I met through Breeze. Um, homegirl Seven, who was a friend of MFW's, Key Turner, who's still very, t extremely talented. She has a dope project out now called Yolanda as a single um, she's extremely talented. Um, Gongali, as I mentioned, quite a few others. It was like seven of us. And, um, so, you know, I would, we would be freestyling, um, amongst ourselves, whether it was in our group collectively, um, or, you know, in college, <laughs> I remember being in college and definitely there were a lot of MCs there, 
And so we will be rhyming their cafeteria, either high school cafeteria, college cafeteria once I graduated. Um, and then with my homegirls, you know, I, I, I would say I freestyle here and there for sure. My brothers, it was probably more in ciphers um, that I was freestyling with my brothers outside in the Eureka or shows that we would have. But I wouldn't say I freestyle so, so much with my brothers when it came to just being at home chilling, we were probably just at home chilling, you know, um, you know, because we, we are siblings. So it's like, you know, you, you know, you're not doing it every second of the day. Um, I think it was probably more something that I did socially with my homegirls when we were, you know, practicing or just hanging out in our group collectively or at school socially. It was more of a social activity um, while while sharpening the sword, knowing that, OK, well, we got you know, we're going to be battling. We're going to we be battling dudes. And I mean that literally like, you know, um, we were in ciphers with many, many men you know, many, many men, like 50. So it's like, you had to be prepared. So yeah, ciphering, I mean, being freestyling rather, and um, practicing that skill, because it is a skill. Um, that's just something that I think, you know, when I was younger, it was just like a really cool, fun exercise, you know, and then as I got into songwriting and getting really serious about songwriting and development and albums and things like that. Um, it is something that I probably should have kept up more, but my focus just became instead of, all right, let me prove myself. It was like, all right, I've been rhyming. I've done that. Now I just really kind of want to focus more on the writing aspect um, as far as like song development and project development. So I would say that that was more like late high school, early college. Not that I won't go there, but it's just that was the peak time for it, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you know what's yeah. interesting? Um, well, two things come to mind. One, I think of, so we talked a little bit about like these kind of eras, but I think of like young people, like you work with young people and I think of young people that I talk to and I'm around and I, you know, invest in, work with. And mm -hmm. when you say freestyling now, I don't know if this is everywhere. I'm, you know, I'm in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just say young people that are in Detroit that are in this hip hop scene. When we, when we say freestyling, there's such a disconnect. Like the young people are like, for them, freestyling is a written that no one's heard. So they kick a written, but they call mm -hmm. it a freestyle because it's like they're rhyming it on the spot. Like they're rhyming something that they just remember that they wrote. And I'm like, do you have you experienced that where you are or no? Or is freestyle yeah. in New York? I mean, I think that, um, you know, with hip hop comes vocab and terminology. And it's like how you can say one word and it means two different things depending on the context. I think that's very similar and when it comes to the idea of the word freestyling. So, um, I mean, I definitely understand. I had this conversation uh, earlier this week, matter of, as a matter of fact, with one of my students um, for this hip hop course that I'm teaching. And um, he was like, Professor, uh, 
can I write a freestyle? So they have they basically have to take a um, select their favorite MC. They have to give somewhat of a biographical info. Um, they have to select one of their favorite songs, analyze it, break it down like verse wise, you know, uh, meaning, context, metaphor, whatever literary stuff going on. And then they have to um, then reinterpret, you know, create their own verse using that same concept, like whatever the theme was, whatever the song was about from their perspective. And so with their words. So one of my students was like, well, can I freestyle? <laughs> so I was like, well, what do you mean? Exactly what you were just saying, Piper. Like, okay, well, what do you mean? Now, again, my understanding, you have freestyling where it's just off the top. It's just off the top. And that's freestyling. And I feel like growing up, that was really more what we understood freestyling to be. It was, there was no written, you were coming off the top, you know, and that's it. However, I would say as things evolved a little bit more and grew and things, you know, time, time changes to an extent, you know, where things get added on to what's understood or what's to be part of the culture um, or experience perhaps is more the word than culture of it. Um, then you had freestyle verses which were verses that were pre-written, but they didn't have a specific concept um, connected to it. So it was basically a verse that was written ahead of time, but it was just showing out. It was just showing lyrical prowess, showing lyrical skills, showing your lyricism, your lyrical abilities and dexterity, not necessarily, damn, that sounded like a verse, not necessarily, um, you know, a concept in mind. And so then you have a freestyle verse. So I think it's a matter, it does come down to um, to an extent about gener generationally, because if you tell me, yo, spit a freestyle, I'm automatically going to think something that I haven't written that I'm spitting off the top. Just because of where I come from and the era and how I was brought up and what I've, I know what to mean. But I also understand that as things evolve, then you have a freestyle verse, which is just not connected or associated with a specific concept. And I think it depends on who you're talking to. So yeah, I agree. I think that the younger generation for them, freestyling might mean, okay, well, a freestyle verse versus something that's not written. I, I, I think it depends on who you're talking to um, and, and how that term comes to be based on that. We just, we, we, have, we have a plethora of knowledge, like we know what it is. For them, they're still, they're still, you know, acquiring a lot as far as the old stuff, you know? No, I feel you. Okay, yeah. let's talk about battling. Had yep. you your your um career in the in the in the whole you know expanse as I should say of your career, what yeah. percentage of your career ha has you know in 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 the past probably more than now been bad? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm gonna say that I think battling has also become is also more of like a contemporary style in the sense of what I know, what I've experienced 
It's like I know battle rap. That's that's been around for ages. So let me let me clarify. I think that with social media and with technology and with things shifting in the industry, that whole combination of those different things, I think, kind of opened the door for battle rap to be a whole nother um, avenue to show who you are as an artist and your skill as an MC, um, kind of like in the ring where it was just like one-on-one um, and it was profitable. It became very, very profitable. So um, there's a whole culture within the culture of hip hop that addresses battle rap. When I think about myself as an artist, I definitely wouldn't associate myself within those contexts just because for me, the closest that I think I could even associate myself as doing anything like battle rap was battling in a cipher. It was never one-on-one. It was we outside, it's after a show, and we getting it in. People showing off, you know, dope verses, who's next getting cut off, spitting your verse, you know, showing who you are, your identity to me. At that point, it was more of a battle because it was like you have 5, 10, 15, 20 dudes sometimes. And to me, that, I wouldn't say that's more of a battle rap, but you're really trying to show and prove who you are um, when you have 10 people or 20 people versus one. Yeah, the spotlight is on different when it's just one person or two people rather going back and forth. But my cultural at my era, when it was about rhyming in that kind of battle style, it was more cypher. It wasn't the way battle rap came to be a little bit later on where it was like a real big profitable thing. And that, like I said, became a culture within it. By the time that was a big deal, I was full on in the classroom. I wasn't I wasn't anywhere near battle cypher. Or battle rap, excuse me. See how I'm still <laughs> still talking about cipher. For me, I think cipher. I don't think battle because I was battling in a cipher to be heard, to get my voice, you know what I'm saying, who I was. That's where I was doing it. It was like 10 dudes, one woman, mostly me. Or maybe it might have been like a couple other women who, again, were just in that era doing things. So it was a different battle to me at that time. It was battling to be heard, but it was also battling to be respected and seen um, equivocally to the men who were there because I was like, I'm just as ill as most of y'all, if not all of y'all or good portion of y'all at that time, you couldn't tell me, you know, that wasn't the case, you know, um, you know, it also came with, you know, being younger, you have a different kind of edge and ego, but you know, to me, there was a different battle and the battle was beyond just one person. It was about making a name or identifying who you were Um, beyond lyrics. It was also a gender thing at that time too. We're talking about nineties, early nineties or mid nineties. So um, yeah, I wouldn't associate, I wouldn't consider myself as a battle rapper. I would consider myself as someone who could get in a cypher and battle. Uh, There's a distinction for me. Like yeah. I said, by the time that was culturally relevant for me, I wasn't mm-hmm. I was in the classroom. I wasn't in a cipher. Yeah. And I love that you, you know, broke that down that way. It's interesting. I um 
had a no misogyny open mic that centered women lasted about five years. And during that time, we would work to, you know, have people, you know, do, you know, practice in the cipher. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting is that doing it with the no misogyny, right? So Mm. people would come (laughs) and they'd be so vexed because they'd be like, oh, I can't call, you know, I can't say this or that, you know, and we'd be like, nah, you can express yourself. You just can't, you know, do misogyny. And and you know that people would be like, yo, what am I going to rap about? I I don't know what I'm going to rap about. Right. And, And we'd be like, wow, like, (laughs) This world is so expansive. There is so much to talk about. There's so much happening all the time. Right. You've got to fixate on this thing. You don't even have to, like, there's so much happening in the rest of the world. You would never have to talk about that, like, ever. And you could have still topic after topic. But people would get stumped and they get stuck. And it's interesting You know, the, the, what makes me think about that is you mentioning or, you know, just kind of explaining that mm-hmm. it was such um, like a bullpen of, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> having to fight for space, for air to be. And then on top of that, you know, you have to not only have the lyrical ability and agility, but you had to be witty and you had to be, you know, the creative and you had to have a certain you know, uh, presence about yourself and, you know, you had to have a certain, you know, style, you know, all of these things, which are going to make people listen to you or want, or want to listen to you. Right. Um, as opposed to another person, you know, and there were so many people at that time, honestly, that were very, very good. I mean, there were people that sucked, don't get me wrong, but there were a lot mm-hmm. of people that were very, very good, right? And so every time you stepped into the cipher, you just got better and better and better because you're just like, you know, as you eat people up, it right. becomes harder, right? It's still Pac-Man, but the challenges just become, you know, a bit more challenging. So I'm wondering, can you talk about how you were able to level yourself up? Because one one would think, you know, and, and just having lived through that, you know, I can mm-hmm. tell you, like, just watching people, you know, um, come, you know, either either not come back <laughs> or or come back even right. better or, like, improve. Like, what is it that you, how were you able to, like, take whatever, you know, from from what you were experiencing and then, you know, take yourself to that next level? Like, how were you able to do that? Well, I mean, I, I definitely, again, um, you know, I, I've been blessed to have, to be surrounded by, you know, uh, individuals who are just really talented. Um, you know, my brother, you know, Breeze is definitely uh, lyrically one of my favorite MCs ever. I think he's a damn near genius with the pen. He's just phenomenal. And so... In regards to leveling up, again, when that's your surrounding, and then again, coming up, as you mentioned, the golden era, and you're right, you know, it was really more 
you know, mid eighties, that's considered more mid eighties to mid nineties. I guess for me, I didn't even consider it because I was engrossed. (laughs) I was like, you know, I was just, okay, I'm turning on video music box, you know, but reflective and retrospect. Yes, you're you're right. Like that would be considered that time. So when I think about Rakim and I mean, you know, (laughs) it's like, how can you not want to have that level of creative excellence for yourself, right? It's like, let, okay, so let's let's say let's look at it this way. If I was a kid now coming out um, playing tennis, and I really wanted to excel in this particular sport, you know, I would be watching old tapes of Serena and Venus daily. That would be my, you know, my go-to. I'd be watching the greats. I'd be watching them, you know. um, I'd be watching other tennis pros who to me was like my favorites, Nadal, Sampras, you know. Coco right now is a beast. But I think Coco, if you asked her, you know, well, who did you model after? she would easily be like, oh, I was inspired by Serena or Serena and Venus. So when you think about entering a sport, whatever the sport is, you're going to, and you're serious about it. And I was serious about it. So, you know, when you think of it from that that standpoint, you're not going to follow someone who was just, eh, you're going to model after or be inspired by or study people who excelled. You know, whether and I don't necessarily mean that whether they excelled um, because there's some amazing people who aren't necessarily like my brother, you know, definitely underrated. Um, You know, he has a solid fan base, people who know, know, you know, Um, but at the same time, when you look monetarily, you know, we're not buying yachts off of this. So, you know, then it becomes, well, what is your you know, what's the, what's the, the parameters? Is it just excellence financially? And and as far as where you are, and I think that's important too, because from a business standpoint, artists need to understand that there's that part, you know, sometimes we study too much, (laughs) just the craft and forget to focus on um, the fact that you need the business platform. If that's the life you want to choose, if you just want to be a phenomenal artist and you really don't care, then tapping into that, you know, genuine quality of just being authentic and amazing. You know, a lot of phenomenal artists didn't get recognition until they died. So it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about the, the bag. It was about what they were creating. So for me to get back to the question, I just think that I was surrounded by whether it was just the culture of the people that I was seeing and listening to or the people I had was privy enough in my own home. Um, That in itself made me want to level up. I would, you know, in in conjunction with really loving, like really loving hip hop, really loving this and being serious about it. And for me, I never played sports. I should have, (laughs) I should have. I never played sports in high school. For me, it was just by the time I was hooked and I was into rhyming, that was it. It was rhyming and probably, you know, doing and whatever other adolescent things you do at teenage time. So, but that was my love. That was my passion. Um, 
that was my sport. So I took it pretty serious. Yeah. Now, can you take us through your, you know, your recording journey? Because you have different parts of yourself, right? Like you've got your juggernauts part, but then you got the queen heroine that has done work with these different women collectives and, you know, your solo. So can you take us through, like, I want to say, you know, the projects that you've worked on, you know, like Queen Heroin through through, hmm. you know, through these projects? Hmm. Yeah, um, I would say the earliest stuff is probably, again, um, I would say Gypsies. Um, and some of that stuff we had recorded and never came out. So I would say in regards to like recording history, Gypsies, we definitely had some some work collectively, some songs that we did. Like I'd trip out if I heard them now because I don't even have them. I think my brother may have like one or two copies of something somewhere um, in the in the music dungeon. <laughs> um, but I would trip out if I heard that. So I would say Gypsies, um, the first time I ever, ever recorded I recorded over um, the Mary Jane girls um, all night long. That was uh, like the break. I recorded in the break section um, in my in the closet. My brother recorded. <laughs> that was the first time I ever recorded that I can remember. Um, we never really quite did anything with it, but it was definitely like the beginning of, oh, okay, this is, this this is going down. Some stuff is going to happen here. So, um, so there was that gypsies. And then there was, there were, there were things that I recorded for juggernauts that, um, didn't come out in the first album, but I was writing. So if you listen to, um, so the juggernauts, we did a re-release and on the re-release, there's a song called projections. Um, I was really young when I wrote that too. I might've been like 16. And so Projections was a song. I remember recording it at the studio in the Bronx by my brother's house. And we never put it out, but I also didn't finish the song. (laughs) So it was like, you know, you need to come back and you need to finish it. And I was like, all right. And that didn't happen, but we loved it so much. And the production was so crazy. You know, he's so talented. My brother Slim is very, very talented um, as well, extremely. And so that projection song, although, or, or verse really, although it didn't manifest into a song at the time, um, my same brother, Kev, he felt really adamant about putting putting it on the re-release project. So that came, that was, that was put back on. So again, I was recording things. I just, I was really on this precipice between like how, when you were asking before about the freestyle and I was really honing my craft and really just wanting to get solid, you know, um, as opposed to focusing on song development, which at that point my brothers had already put in an album. And so they knew what it was to put together songs. It's very different. Like rhyming is one thing, putting together songs and projects and albums. That's a whole nother thing. So there was that. Um, and then there was weight. Weight was a big deal for me at the time. Um, something I'm still really proud about. So again, um, juggernauts and things that we were doing collectively at the time. Yeah. I mean, 
I was queen of heroin and I was doing things, you know, with gypsies here and there. And at that time, gypsies was actually starting to fade out because um, there was just, you know, we were in different physical places. Uh, some of us were in New York. Some of us, the rest of the women were in uh, basically like Virginia, I believe, at the time. And it just became a little bit of a um, a, a, a challenge to, to accomplish what we were trying to accomplish as a group together. Um, the last time I remember us doing something, we had a show in Virginia and they cut the cord because they were like, oh, yeah, we don't do hip hop here. And that's like the last song I remember or the last time I remember us as a group collectively trying to do something. So, um, so yeah, wait weight was the big deal. Um, that's when I think a lot of people were like, who was this person? And again, I hadn't put out an album with Juggernauts. I was just performing with Juggernauts and I was part or considered part of the Indelibles, at least definitely through that song. So that kind of connected me to the Indelible MCs and that whole movement. Um, so there was that recording. And then I, I had worked with Mr. Lynn, who's definitely like family um, as well, who's part of um, Company Flow and um, so, so talented as well. And we did, um, Breeze and myself did a song called This Morning through uh, with Mr. Lynn on um, one of his, um, Pity the Fool was the name of the project. Um Oh, let me go back. A big, big song that I, I, you know, I wish more people could really recognize, but it was just so early. Uh, shout out to Apani. Um, Apani had put together this song called Estrogen. And to date, I mean, Estrogen is just, it's a, a song that has, it really kind of encapsulates if you want to say somewhat of the female movement or the woman movement. And I hate to label it that way, but it was just, there was nothing else like it that was happened to be all female at the time. Um, so estrogen was the song that she put together and DJ Spinner did the beat for it. Shout out to Spinner who's also incredibly talented and it just had <laughs> heavy hitters on it. Um, obviously Apani was on it. Lyric was on it at the time. What What, who's now known as Jean Grey, was on it. Myself, I was on it. Preda Honey Dark was on it. Yesterday was on it. Helix was on it. Apani was on it. It was just, it was crazy. And when you think back to just that era of um, hip hop, all the people on there and some who, who weren't on there, but that that song is really a great reflection of the people who were doing things in, in the trenches, just music wise, culturally at that time, that's that song right there is a good, it's a good um, place to go back for people who are like, Hmm, who, were there women really doing things at that time? Yeah, there were. And, and that track definitely um, encapsulates that. So I'm proud to be on that. That was early off too. Um, and then later on, uh, Prince Among Thieves, my brother did the Prince Among Thieves project with uh, Prince Paul, uh, which was really, really dope. I was super excited for him. And they needed, um, there was a part that required, you know, some a female perspective um, in regards to some of the, the songs. And so I wrote for that. And um, I was on that. 
with my brother. Um, but of course it was really, it was really more Breeze was his character was Tariq and then um, another main character, Shah. And then there were so many heavy hitters on that. I mean, Dayla was on that. Uh, Kane was on that. Exhibit was on that. Um, just so many people, Sadat X. There was just so many people on that. Um, it was a really, really dope project. Chabrock, a lot of people. Um, and of course, Principal, that was his baby. That was his brain vision. Um, and then and then that's when I would say we started getting into the recording of um, things like... Yes. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) You're hungry? Okay. Well, you have to warm something up or something, babe. Yeah, I know. Scary. There's something in there. Make it happen. Yeah. Sorry, my daughter. Um, So... So, yeah. So then we transitioned into... um, that project, which, like I said, just has so much going on. And so after the Prince Among Thieves, which I was really grateful to be on something of that magnitude with my brother, um, we did a lot of smaller projects. So there was like, um, well, smaller, like just uh, EPs, basically. Like I said, we did earlier, we did uh, WKRP and NYC. Um, We did that project. We did the love movement. We did that project. Um, around that time, I was starting to get into some things where maybe I collaborated with my brothers. And then there were some things that I was just kind of myself. I did a song called P Russian that my brother, uh, Breeze produced the track for. So I think they were also starting to say, you know, like, let's, allow some more creative let's let's see where she starts going song wise song wise by herself because I was already doing things um and then as a collective group too you know there's also the respect and understanding that you know you want to give everyone a chance regardless okay little sister or not but this is another artist who happens to be part of the group and you know there are different voices and things that need to be discussed and said and heard um And so we just started expanding on just how we were, you know, the things that we were creating musically um, and artistically, which was cool. So there were like many projects like that. And then different collabs, um, you know, I would say more towards like recent, I had done a couple of years back, I did um, something with... um, uh, called uh, a song called Ambition with Wordsworth and um, who I had gone to school with as well, Westbury. So we had known each other for quite some time as well. Um, we did a collab together. He had, was also featured later on on the um, Use Your Confusion album. So there was that. Through the connection with Wordsworth, um, I did a song with Master the ace which was like major you know because for me ace again back to the golden era when i think about that time i think about ace <laughs> you know and it's like to have someone who i admired um as an artist to that extent you know approach me like hey you want let's do the song like i heard the joint with you know words the ambition track And I thought you did a really good job, which is what he said. And he was like, you know, I have this concept. Um, 
want to send you, you know, the track and see, maybe, you know, make something happen. And so we did. And the song's called Mother's Regret. Um, and it was just really humbling just working with him, you know, something just, again, very proud of to just work with someone who you admire, who you see as a hip hop legend. So um, we did that, um, you know, and then I was saying between there, there have been other things, um, Cy Martial Law, um, a real another another big, big song in regards to just some some women who don't play around. Um, was the Ty Phoenix and Star collaboration, which was a few years back, um, Kill Bill 3. And um, man, <laughs> just a really, really dope song. Um, really proud to be on that. Um, and a lot of people were loving that but for good reason. It was a really dope song. Really proud of that. Um, and those two, you know, they're lyrical monsters as well so people really received that song like yo <laughs> when's the album dropping you know um people were really excited about that so that was dope um and we've all been doing it for a long time you know as far as the music so it was just really nice to come together and do something collaborative um and and that kind of took us to like i said use your confusion that came out i did a solo project um metamorphosis and for me metamorphosis was kind of about i mean really just being in full artistry mode and and wanting to see if i could pull off a whole album by myself you know um again it's always about evolution and wanting to just go to the next level like i i have my collaborative joints and yes i've been rhyming for a minute and you know my brother Others have such um, a solid, you know, um, track record and history for what they what they do. And being the youngest, you know, to an extent you want to have you're proud to be part of that. But you also want to have a sense of independence from that as well, just to know, you know, that you stand solid, you know, collectively and you stand solid on your own as an artist, not just riding the coattail of something you know, um, that they've created, you know, although we created something together as well later on. And so metamorphosis kind of was that, you know, and the name, this idea of just evolution and growth. And I had changed and grown a lot too, because at that point I was a mother. Um, and a lot of the song was really, a lot of the album was really discussing just a lot of that personal evolution and, and the change in regards to role and life changes and things that were happening. So um, I kind of just wanted to make creative documentation of that. Um, shout out, you know, um, SYNQ did a great deal of production on that, um, a local producer. And then there were, uh, there's production as well by my brothers and, and other people on there. Um, but that was an important project as well. And then um, I was living in Chicago. So shout out to you in Detroit because um, it's not far at all and, and Chicago became my home for a while a few years good and I, I recorded um the um space between things project was recorded out there written and recorded out there and it was just a really great relationship 
um, in Chicago, you know, just connecting with the music different in a different way, um, in a way that became my new home, but was I had always been used to recording in New York, um, you know. So it was definitely different, but it definitely became like a home space for me. Shout out to Marlon Solitaire, a.k.a. Solitaire, um, you know, Beats by Solitaire because he had a studio space out there. And um, I was definitely through through my partner. He had put me on to Marlon and Marlon just became that was my second home when it when it came became to like production and record not production but recording and and mastering and mixing he did all of that he did a phenomenal job so i mean it's been it's been a long relationship um in regards to just writing and and projects and and the most current one is something right now that hasn't formally dropped but it is bubbling and hopefully will be dropping soon which is the future is female um and it's a project orchestrated by Nas the Ruler so 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 amazingly talented um i'm humbled and excited to be on that project as well and it's just chock full of talent i mean <laughs> i haven't heard all of the tracks but i've heard many 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 a good amount of them a good percentage when um i had gone out to virginia and he had played uh, quite a bit and um the project is amazing it's bad bad meaning good well um, i'm excited I'm, I'm excited um, I have to i'm excited why um why well I don't know. I hope this doesn't sound offensive, but why did you wait so long to do a solo project? I mean, I'm saying that as a fan, like, you know, <laughs> in the end in the right. of like, you know, you had been, well, maybe, maybe I see it from a different perspective, but for me, I feel like you have been really, you know, ready. If I, Well, I don't know. Right. Ready is right. I'm an outsider. I'm not inside you. Right. But I guess right. for me, look from the outside looking in, I'm I'm thinking right. okay, you have been ready. Like, why did you? Take- it's a great question. Just, it's a know. great question, and and I and I agree um, a thousand percent. And what I will say is, um, life happens because in retrospect, I probably would have, I should have done. But you know, you can't do the shoulda, coulda, woulda, but. If you could do the shit of code, I would have definitely um, put out many, many, you know, projects or more projects than um, that should have been the time for sure. Um, Like uh, after Indelibles and that dropped, I should have been focusing on that. I will say that um, to me personally, what ended up taking precedence um, after school was education. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it is what it is, but as artists, you know, I also needed consistent money, <laughs> you know, so I agree. It should have, more things should have happened on an early, earlier scale. It's just the shift went more educationally than um, as a professional than um, musically. Mm. Yeah. So how do you now see all of your, what's the word I'm trying to say? So you've got your, you know, you're a mother, 
you're an educator, you're an MC, you're also a part of this legendary hip hop group, you're a writer, um, you're a lecturer. So I'm wondering like how you see, I mean, and you have this new project coming out, The Future is Female. How do you see, you know, um, your future in hip hop? It's a really great question. Um, some days I wonder if I, if <laughs> how much more music I'll do. Um, it's a mixed relationship at this point, just because you know I am I I, I am on a day to day basis teaching. I mean, you know, uh, I teach every day, with the exception of Fridays, and and even that is debatable because you know it's like you're still one thing about education. Is, when you're not teaching, you're either lesson planning or grading. So you're you're still kind of always working. Um, but for me, I, I will say this. It would be really beautiful, ideally, in my future if I could continue combining or my goal is to continue combining my love, knowledge, passion, and skill for hip-hop as an artist and if and when I do artistry, great. Um, however, I definitely wanna combine that with education and um, whether it's mentorship through someone who wants to, you know, focus on their artistry um, in addition to curriculum and creating curriculum and which I am doing that is connected and aligned with hip hop and telling the story and continuing the story and finding new storytellers through their artistry and being part of helping to facilitate that as an educator. Um, and even not even just people who want to become artists, but for people to understand the connection and love for hip hop and the fact that it is indeed um, a fabric of who we are, because you have some students, you can have students who they may not necessarily want to be MCs or breakers or graph artists or any of that, but this is who they are. This is their culture. So, you know, one thing you learn in education is that. Um, trust, like in any relationship, trust is one of the most important and foundational elements. If, if your student or your partner, whoever it is, there's in a sense of trust, then they're not going to open up. There's not going to be any real transparency or conversation. And if so, it's going to be surface level. And when we talk about educating and, and preparing students, you know, for the world, you know, surface level communication, surface level thinking, that's not what's going to get us or them anywhere far you know, or authentic or of value, real value. And so you want to hit that higher order thinking, higher level thinking. And that's only going to come when, you know, you've, you've, you've delved into them other spaces, those other spaces that deal with trust and connection. And so hip hop becomes a connective tool. It's a conduit. It's a way to reach the kids, whether they trying to aspire to be artists or not. You just want to use it as an element to talk to them. How is your day? What's going on? Your mom is sick. What's, what's the deal? You know, and so it just becomes a communicative tool. Um, so if I can, you know, create, that's beautiful. Who knows? You know, maybe maybe this will pop and go crazy, you know, uh, in, in my middle age. You know, you never know. Um, if not, 
then that's okay too. Because at the end of the day, although that would be ideal and beautiful, I like nice things too. Who wouldn't want it to? What artist doesn't want their artistry to maintain them um, financially? Said no one ever. So of course, however, realistically, you know, if I can use what I know, um, and that doesn't happen, but I can encourage someone or help through my artistry, great. So curriculum, books, workshops, panels, platforms, you know, and then affording me some time to just have spaces like this through your podcast where it's like you can talk about hip hop, you can talk about art, you can talk about culture and lifestyle and education. I mean, what's what's messing with that? You know? And you are a um, preserver and protector of the culture. I mean, you're also on the or we're on there together the universal mm-hmm. hip-hop museum um hip-hop education you know arm and you know we've gotten a chance to well we haven't done like that much work but we've got a chance to at least get a little closer through um, yeah. the uh, women in hip-hop can you speak about um that aspect and you know kind of your involvement with that Yeah. Well, I mean, again, that goes back to your question. You know, it's like kind of where do you see the future? I feel like it's starting to develop and, and, you know, those forging of, you know, those spaces of of finding people like-minded who have similar goals of wanting to use hip-hop in a transformative way, in a preservation way, in a way of evolution. It kind of brings all of us together. And so um, hadn't I been an educator for 20 years, right, on and off, again, we wouldn't maybe be having this conversation, right? Um, Because, again, you can be an artist for sure, and you're educating through through your craft. I definitely believe that instead of a classroom, you know, you have a stage. Um, But at the same time, my involvement with... um, the uh, Universal Hip Hop Museum and the initiative and, you know, shout out to Martha Diaz and everything we're doing collectively, all of us, everyone on the committees, um, you know, with those goals in mind, my role has really been more, um, (laughs) um, if you've noticed, it's been more educator, not MC. Sometimes I laugh, you know, I have to remind myself like, oh, yeah, you can have those conversations, too, because um, what brought me initially to the conversation and to the group collectively was um, the course I'm teaching right now, uh, the hip hop course uh, that I'm teaching currently with my students. And so that's what brought me to the table um, to start that conversation as a group, you know, collectively with everyone there. And I'm very happy and proud. So it's been more through a curriculum aspect, um, and finding ways, uh, for the students to connect through hip hop and foster these relationships. So, yeah, I mean, it's been more curriculum based than musically. Um, but my combination of having that experience as an artist, and as an MC, uh, in addition to the educator, this is where now I can kind of fuse those worlds, um, you know, there. And also it allowed me, it afforded me the opportunity a year ago now um, to connect with Next Level, the Next Level Meridian program um, through the, the, the 
the U.S., they have an exchange, creative exchange program. And so I was fortunate to go um, to Peru and teach emceeing out there through that. So again, it was education mixed with hip hop, hip hop and educating. And so I just feel like that's kind of the future is finding a way um, to coalesce all the different things that I do and and use that as as a as a tool to you know whether it's give back help create communities platforms just education and the arts um on a, on a whole so that that kind of feels like the future of it for me yeah that's really cool i mean you know i got to go back um I wanted you to touch on, you touched some some on your metamorphosis um, Mm -hmm. project. Did you, the, 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 the photograph that's on the front, like what, where did that choice come from? My brother, (laughs) my brother. Um, I had a whole different vision to be honest with you. I had a whole different vision for it. Um, it's I've I've settled with it over the years um it's a beautiful photograph it's of my mom and myself as a baby as a child a young little toddler little one um and like I said initially shout out to Angelo Civitano who did so much work legwork prior to that image um being put together for the cover um yet my brother Slim, who, you know, this is a thing, you know, you have a company together and your family, you know, or regardless, just company period, you know, sometimes there are decisions that are made and changes happen when it's more than one person, it's collective. So um, Slim all of a sudden was just like, hey, I think we need to go with this picture for the cover. And a lot of work had been done prior to that, which is why I shout Angelo out. He's a phenomenal artist and graphic designer. And, um, you know, we had really, the vision was more capturing this idea of actual metamorphosis. And and because I have a background in visual arts too, you know, there was a play on just phases, the phases of a butterfly pupa and all of that good stuff. And so it was pretty, it was very beautiful. But once Kev saw this, um, this image, he just, you know, felt like, look, this is, this is where we need to go with it. Um, and although initially I wasn't super excited about the the choice, you know, from an administrative standpoint, I respected his, his decision to do that. And I would say that later on, it took me a minute, but later on, as I think about what the album is really about, it definitely holds a different different weight now than it did initially. Like the album cover art initially was very beautiful, but the weight that that one picture holds um, just says so much in connection to a lot of what I was saying on the album, because it really is motherhood changes you. And if there's any change, <laughs> it was one to me, it's one of the biggest changes you'll ever go through on a physical level on a spiritual level, on an emotional level. Um, it just changes you in every which way possible. 
And so when I think about it in retrospect and the idea of metamorphosis and the things I was saying through the project, that indeed, you know, was a good choice um, in hindsight. Um, and again, that's Breeze's album now. But yeah, in hindsight, that was the the right choice um, simply because it, it really resonates with what's being said symbolically on the album. Um with, yeah. through that change yeah through that change nothing changes you more than that I mean personally I mean and that's no you know there are women who um may not go through that process of motherhood and that's fine too but I find that you know I have a very dear friend um I'll keep her name anonymous just because it's her personal business but you know her her work organizationally um she's very much in the community very much into just building and growth and expansion creatively. And we've had the conversation and I think it's interesting because there are women who, you know, um, just decide not to. And I think that everyone has their purpose and um, their mission. And when you're dealing with community growth and transformation and metamorphosis, you have more than one child, <laughs> you know, it takes a village. And so we all contribute differently. So that process of metamorphosis and mothering, you have, you know, more of a intimate relationship through that process. If you have gone through, you know, that process as a mother, and then if you haven't, there's still women um, who are assisting in very nurturing, educative capacities like a mother fostering that type of need in in communities you know so we all kind of deal with it on different levels yeah and you know i love that you brought that up because you know i have a whole organization you know we found hip-hop is dedicated to centering women in hip-hop right and so Mm -hmm. um what's i remember we did um a panel some years ago and on the panel, um, that was one of the questions that, you know, I wanted to, to, to address is about mm-hmm. being a mother, right, in, in hip hop. And uh, Maimuna Yusuf was on the panel and she talked about being a background vocalist for Erica Badu. And um, Erica had, I think it was something like three or four extra tour buses because Mm -hmm. one of the buses was like a homeschool for the, all the, all the, 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 the people who were on the tour for everyone's kids to be homeschooled together on the bus. Right. And um, she just kind of talked about how her and the other, you know, background vocalists and everything were um, able to bond with their young people together, how they were able to, you know, go on tour and um, be with their children and how the other mothers became, you know, kind of aunties and things to one another's children, right? And how to this day, they're all still very close. Their children are very close. And, um, Mm -hmm. And then I have this, I, you know, I do these different events, you know, that center motherhood. And um, I think, yeah, last year I did a um, a playlist and the playlist mm-hmm. was um, during Mother's, for Mother's Day. 
on, on um, Spotify and it's yes mm-hmm. and it's a mother's and I asked you for a track and um, yeah. you know I just reached out to these different MCs that are mothers mm-hmm. as well like hey can I get a track you know for the playlist and so I'm really uh, looking at this you know holistic way in which even even honestly like a lot of the folks that you know have been in hip-hop are now like healers or teachers which is kind of a mothering in a way you know Um, definitely (laughs) there's no question when you say metamorphosis i think about the metamorphosis that kind of the phases that hip-hop has gone through and now there's like this whole healing in hip-hop you know, kind of genre, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the whole vegan hip hop sort of genre and this whole kind of like, I want to call it like spiritual essence hip hop, you know, like kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and I just think about that. Um, I think about like that entire wave of there's like these, it's like a wave, as I would say, of MCs who are just really giving us a lot of fruit you know, uh, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of creativity and this kind of thing. And I would say that um, you all, meaning like this, the entire, I guess, I guess that vein that you come from is, I would say is kind of a branch of the tree of like the abstract, right? In a sense, you know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of, I mean, I would consider it a branch of the abstract. And then I kind of think of these, this, this next generation as kind of the influence of that sort of underground. Because at the end of the day, when we talk about hip hop, you've got like this, the music business, right? Which is one thing, it's a thing. But for me, and I think like maybe for you as well, when we talk about hip hop, we're actually talking about our culture, which is different than like the music business, right? Right. There's a whole other culture that's there and it involves all the other elements and all types of things. And so I see these younger people, I see these younger MCs and they're from everywhere. Um, just really, you know, incredible writing. They're very creative. Um, and I just see, I see that you, that, you know, y'all kind of led that, you know, that movement, as I would say, you know what I mean? I can mm-hmm. see like mm-hmm. what you've even birthed in terms of like, the young people that are coming after y'all. So I'm just very excited about this new project that you have. And I'm excited about all, you know, your students being able to benefit from, you know, what you're teaching them. And I'm just excited about all that you're continuing to do and bring, you know, to hip hop. And you're so dope, but you know, you're so lyrical. You're so you know, strong, you know what I mean? Like, you're just so, you know, you're just, you know, you have so much charisma and, um, and so much wit. No, really like, you know, you're really great MC. It's just, um, you know, wonderful to always see you, you know, repping, especially, you know, I just get so excited because. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah. When I see you rhyme, it's like, you know how, like, when you see, you know, an MC that you really adore or you really, you know, just love, you just want to 
spit with them for you know for <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, I actually do my homegirl shout out to my homegirl R- Rachel Ray Mel she she's she's a songstress beautiful 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 amazing voice singer <laughs> it's my homegirl and I swear she's like when you rhyme I feel like you know I can just spit bars I'm ready to yes. start <laughs> <laughs> I, I just laughed thinking about that when you said that. So I definitely, I've, I've heard it. I've, I've seen it, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's, it's, it does do something to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's amazing yeah. because you know, like, like you know, we started the conversation, but you know, I remember being like out in front of fat beats, at, like you know. 11, 12 mm. o'clock at night, you know, just, <laughs> that just yeah. for hours yeah. and hours yeah. and hours. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was a straight on <laughs> It was a straight on movement, you know, and and God bless everybody who was just part of that, you know, from the business aspect side, you know, to the production, to the music, to the fans, to the back packers to the b-boys and b-girls i mean it was just such a beautiful thing and so much has indeed birthed from that for sure definitely i i do believe that still yeah and you know what's interesting because you come from an environment where you were describing earlier you know you've got these brothers and they're super incredible and then you know, that I don't know, was that did you feel pressure as a you know uh, uh, it was it a was good pressure, speaker, you know, coming it was out good there? pressure. Okay. It was good pressure, it was excitement, it was like it was like the best anxiety. It was like, all right, I'm about to all right, let me get my rhymes up. You know, it was it was it was more an enthusiastic energy. Um, and I mean the pressure, yeah, the pressure was there. Um, but like I said, in a good way, I, I, I embraced the pressure. I invited the pressure. I enjoyed the pressure. Honestly, I enjoyed as far as creatively, you know, I enjoyed getting on stage and being part of that, you know, it was a rush. It was definitely a rush for me. So even though there was the pressure to like, you know, um, perform at a certain level, Um, I was also doing my homework and making sure that, you know, I was honing my craft so that when that time did present itself, you know, I'd be ready. And I think that at that time, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I, I was, I was working to make sure that I was. And so the pressure that did come with it, yeah, they definitely, you know, created a solid, solid platform, um, expectation wise. Um, but I also wasn't, I was definitely making sure that I was coming correct, you know, and making sure that I had done my part to contribute and continue, you know, what that standard, you know, that they had held up, um, and they wouldn't have had it any <laughs> otherwise either, you know, um, they would have been like, ah, yeah, you may need to go back and write some more rhymes, you know? Mm-hmm. So when it was the right time, it was definitely the right time, but that pressure, yeah, there definitely was one, um, and still is because I respect them still, you know, with what they do, um, and uphold as far as that creative excellence, um, Definitely. But I, I I would say that it was something that was invited and and looked forward to, 
you know, just to be part of that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And, you know, I'm just, I just want to tell you, thank you for coming on my platform and just sharing your story. And, you know, I mean, you are so incredible. I mean, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, you probably know how incredible you are, but I mean, I just look up to you. I think okay. you're amazing. Um, thank you. When I so think much, about, Pat. yeah, when I think about hip hop, especially like for me, you represent the, 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 it was like a pivot, okay? Because there was a moment where hip hop had kind of, you know, kind of as a as the the different what would you call them like tears that <laughs> has started to develop, you know, because before then hip hop was kind of one thing in a way, you know what I mean? Like there was, I mean, you did you did have like your street hop, like your cool G rap, but that wasn't really that wasn't really I want to say like a whole tier until like later. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of like a one-off here, one-off there kind of thing. Um, as, think, far as, as far as, as far as, you know what I mean? Like, as far as like, if we say like a whole strand, you know, and then you had like, you know, like your party stuff, you know, where people were just, Oh, as far as like just different, different styles of yeah. what people were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Nonsensical stuff. And that was like, that was a thing. It was cool. It was fun. It was party stuff. But then you had, I want to say when the abstract came along, like organized confusion, like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like that whole thing, that was when it was like, okay, people, there's people that are taking this rap thing <laughs> and like really turning it into an art form. And I don't want to say that the other stuff wasn't really art form per se, but I will say that it did feel a bit more, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like, it just kind of felt more like natural or just felt more like party time in a sense, you know, it wasn't until for me, it wasn't until, you know, I, I know like there was, we had big daddy Kane and we had Rakim, you know what I'm saying? Like doing real tough, like lyricism, but in a sense, right. they were still subject matter, still kind of like, you know, kind of I like, mean, I think Cool G, I would put Cool G in that too, though. I mean, he's, I, 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 I'm a huge Cool G rap fan. I think he's uh, incredibly amazing. And I hear what you're saying, but I would definitely still fit him in there. Like for me, those were the people who I was really, really listening to. Um, and although, yeah, I mean, that. there's stuff within the context. And so you have to sift through. And I hear your point. Um, I feel like, <laughs> hmm. I feel like what what you're describing and and the shift that did in fact take place, and it did. I feel like it did kind of exist because when I think about like KRS and you think about like my philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. it was happening. It was certainly happening. Um, it was certainly happening. I, I I think it comes down to, you know, which is a beautiful thing, you know, just different aesthetics within within the culture too. It's like when you think mm-hmm. about um 
movement, you know, you have some people who are, you know, major Booker T. Washington, and then you have some people who are straight Du Bois. You know what I mean? And to me, it's just like it becomes a place where now you can start having your own aesthetic distinctions and saying, all right, well, I'm a rock with this within the culture. I'm a focus on that style wise or what they're talking about or that particular tribe within the larger, you know, movement, you know? So it's like you have the umbrella, but then you have your sections where you can go and you have someone who's maybe saying it from a simpler context, or like you said, maybe they're focusing on more of the party element and then you have more of the conscious lyrical and that there was definitely a major birth and, and you hit it. I think you definitely hit on the head talking about organized. There's no question. I mean, we, Dela, you know, um, where now things start to shift, where it's still under the umbrella of hip hop. And there's no question of that musically, aesthetically, culturally. But now when you start talking about having pockets, creative pockets, now it's like, okay. Now we talking about vegetarianism or vegan, <laughs> you know, then it starts, you start to have like distinction. Are you pescatarian? You know, are you, you know, you just start having distinctions within the culture of something and it books, you start to get very acute with what it is, you know, um, you want to listen to what you're a fan of. And I think even having, you know, enough artistry and to be able to start making those distinctions is dope to be able to have a variety within or under the umbrella of that. And I do think that existed then, but I agree that there became, I believe for sure, like a larger movement where you just had more people who were like, all right, cool. I'm going to start, I'm going to start talking about some of those things too, you know, um, I, I think it just comes down to, you know, just the approach. Like I said, maybe that wasn't the best distinction before, but you have, you know, or you have Martin and you have, you know, Malcolm. It's like you have the same movement and the agenda at hand, but you have different ways in which you're voicing that, you know, yeah. within that. And so it becomes after a while, it starts to become an, a distinction of, well, how do you prefer to have your culture articulated? What are you more akin to? Um, and organized, definitely. I mean, I was listening to Farrell today um, on IG. He was practicing Scarecrow, which is by far my favorite song um, on the new album with the um, Channel 13. I mean, whew, it's amazing. Um, so, I mean, you have that very, very lyrical which is beautiful, but I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I do want to listen to Road to the Riches. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to throw on that. I think that, you know, to me, that that's that balance. Um, that's that balance, personally. Yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. what's interesting, so you actually got a chance to work on Prince Paul's album. Mm-hmm. Yes. When when you were told that, can you just talk about that? When you were like, like, what were you thinking <laughs> when, when, when you were when you? I were mean, I, I I think I was I was to me it was more surreal for my brother, you know, because 
he just did a phenomenal job on that album. I mean, again, shout out to Breeze Bruin. That guy is a lyrical maniac. You know, he just, <laughs> you know, he's a scientist. And um, I was more, I think, in awe for him. Um, and it felt surreal for him because he just had such a major part stake in, in that project. You know, he was one of the main characters. And so I was just kind of like, you know, on some real fan stuff, like, yo, that's crazy. You know, that's really dope. That's, you know, I'm just excited to be around that, you know, oh, the fact that I can participate. Oh, watch even better. Like, yes, I'll do that. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. You know, uh, my brother's name actually happens to be Paul, too. Thank you, Paul. But, you know, um, I was just really thrilled to see my brother, you know, do something of that magnitude, which I felt he definitely lyrically deserved to be. But of course, it's like that's Prince Paul. So that's iconic. Um, and anytime, you know, I'm able to work with my brothers and something like that creatively, that's just dope, period. So I was just really happy, honored, and proud to be part of that um, process with him. Um, it wasn't an extensive space or role, but I was just happy to contribute really at all, at all to it. Um, it, it afforded us the opportunity too to travel um, uh, a little bit more at that time when that project came out. And we did some like kind of indie touring connected to it, um, brought us to Detroit, as a matter of fact, um, we performed out there around that time. Um, it was just, it was really amazing just being part of it. I mean, I met Big Daddy Kane. <laughs> um, he gave me a slice of pizza. It was phenomenal. I was really excited. <laughs> I was just a fan. I mean, I was, you know, I was part of it, but I was just really more a fan. Honestly, I was kind of, it's kind of, it was just a surreal experience when you think about meeting people. I met people because of that project that, you know, I had been, you know, and still am a major fan of, obviously Prince Paul. Um, I remember meeting Special Ed one day uh, when they were working on the the video. Um, and I was like, wow, that was Special Ed. You know, I used to have a big crush on him too, you know. Um, you know, so it was like, it was just cool. I mean, I'm smiling, giddy over here, just thinking about it. So it was just cool being part of that and meeting people who, you know, are hip hop legends and icons to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're breaking bread with them. Literally, like literally, like I was really scared to ask Kane for his pizza. <laughs> he was like, like, here's the pizza, like eat a slice. He was offended. Like I didn't eat another piece. Like that's all you eat. And I'm like, you're big daddy Kane. I'm not about to kill your whole pie. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, but he was really sweet, really, really, really sweet as well. And, um, and just the way you would imagine big daddy Kane to be, he was just dope, you know, even in, yeah. just in person, like that same character and persona is really not the persona. Like that's him. He's that cool, you know, um, like, like all day. So, yeah. you know, it just afforded me the opportunity, yeah, to just be kind of in the same space of people who I really admired musically. Um, yeah, yeah. And I remember Breeze doing um, Recording Pain, and that really put me on to something that I would say also shifted some of my artistry as well in regards to my writing. Um, 
where he was, you know, the, the cool thing about that project, it really was like a, like a hip hop, people often refer to it as like a hip hop opera, um, type project. And, um, I remember Breeze recording Pain and he literally like fell down in the booth like like he had gotten shot because the character Tariq had gotten shot. And I'm just watching this guy, you know, recording this. And it just kind of put a different, it shed a different light on where you can take things creatively and that when you are recording, you are indeed capturing the essence of that character at that moment. Even if that character is you, but you're telling a story, it may be a story that happened in the past. And so you're trying to recall and channel that emotion or those emotions, whatever they are. So you have to kind of leave your body to an extent you're physically there yes but you have to tap into something that is old resin it's it's not necessarily right there you do have to go somewhere else for it within and seeing him record his verse for pain and literally become the character to the point where he was on the floor as if enacting being reenacting being shot I was just in awe because at that point it was like, all right, I'm spitting verses and yeah, I can write a rhyme and yeah, I can do X, Y, and Z. But now it took it to a height of really channeling and tapping into something deeper than just words, but really starting to examine the idea of emotion and how that plays into manipulating, you know, your voice through mood or your mood through voice. And so I was definitely taken aback by that. And it was an educational moment for me. And I definitely feel like it, it, it started to shift the way that I was approaching um, writing and recording for sure. Wow. You know, they say that, um, that women are like akin to the water, right? And mm. so that we have this relationship with the water. Mm-hmm. And um, listening to you is like swimming in the ocean, you know, it's like it's uh-huh. so, so deep and so rich and so amazing and and, and, so, and so nourishing. You Thank know? you. That's the Scorpio Piper. That's all that is. That's the water sign. <laughs> That's all that is. You know, it's just amazing. Like, when you speak. I mean, you're not really supposed to tell black people that they're articulate. It's supposed to be offensive, but <laughs> right, it's like, damn it, I'm, I am that. Why does it have to be? Oh man, don't get me started. Yes, just, I, I have that conversation for sure here and there. You know, it's just the way that you articulate your thoughts is so precise and so crisp. You are so clear, and you are so. Um, what's the word? You're such a visionary. You know, you're Thank so there's so there's a depth to you that is just really refreshing. Um, and I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate listening to you. I appreciate learning from you. Um, I just want to tell you thank you for coming and thank you for sharing so much and being so, you know, transparent and um, you know, just giving so much. This is I've I've had. 
a, a really good time. I got a chance to hear how you think. I got a chance to hear, you know, some of your story. Um, and I'm wondering, is there anything else that you feel you would want to share about your journey? I mean, I would just say, you know, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you. I'm humbled listening to, to you know, uh, the perception. So, you know, um, I definitely just am grateful and, and honored to kind of share the story um, and be asked to share the story. So thank you for that. Um, and, and as far as anything, you know, I mean, I think we touched on, you know, you asked really amazing questions and tapped into some, to some things that I certainly haven't been asked before. Um, and that was kind of fun and interesting to navigate through that. So that was cool. Um, I, I would just say, you know, thanks to all the listeners. Thank you to you, you know, um, preserving and continuing, you know, hip hop and, and again, retelling and telling and sharing the narrative um, for voices who, you know, some people know and who some people don't. So it's, it's good to share and spread that, um, you know, if people can follow the journey, you know, the IG got to throw out the IG stuff. So the IG is at the queen heroine, um, spelled H E R A W I N. Um, and shout out to the team, the Matic team, you know, which is our independent label, um, you know, definitely check for my brother's project. It's really, really good quality. I mean, amazing quality work. Hindsight is the name of the album. It's available um, through Bandcamp, uh, Fat Beats. Um, you can go to at the Juggernauts, J-U-G-G-A-K-N-O-T-S, um, which is the IG, the Juggernauts, and find out information there as well or follow Breeze Brewing um, at Breeze Brewing, B R E. W-I-N, Breeze spelled the way Breeze is. So, you know, just shout out to the whole team. Um, thank you guys for following and listening. And um, check for anything Matic related and Queen Heroin happening. Um, I did do something called the Process Sessions. It's very new. Um, you guys might want to check for that. That can also be found at, at my IG platform. It's just exploring the creative process that different artists go through. Um, you know, having similar conversations to the one that we had today, Piper, thanks to you, just kind of discussing what their creative process is, despite, you know, the different art disciplines. So it's just exploring that, you know, the creative process. Um, and, you know, I started chefing it up in my hallway, you know, <laughs> since I left Chicago, you know, back staying with some family in this transitional time. And um, I started cooking in the hallway, um, you know, since I left my formal kitchen. So that's been fun. So I started something called um, the hallway kitchen. Y'all could check for that there too. Um, yeah. And, and this project, once it drops, I hope y'all get a chance to, you know, get it and pardon me and, and, you know, check out all the women who are on it because it is really phenomenal. The future is female. And there's something to be said for that. No question. And I'm gonna have to bring you back when um when you do drop it just to promote it. Yes, I would love that. Absolutely. As the as soon as I hear about it, you hear about it. I will definitely let you know. I, I'm excited. I'm telling you, it's I think you're gonna I think you're gonna love it. I don't think I know. 
I know you're going to oh, love it. Oh my gosh. Yo, there's so many dope artists on this project. It's not even funny. I'm telling you. Oh my goodness. It's, it's insane. It is in, there's like, there's like, I, I don't know how many tracks there are, but there's like th- a good 30 female artists on this project. Easy. Oh my God. I love it. Oh, it's insane. Oh, it's so, so, so crazy. Well, You're going to love it. Promote it. Yeah, I'm going to help you promote it. That's what's sad. I'm down. I'm down. Thank you again. I appreciate you so much. And I'm looking forward to um, sharing this with the world. That's what's up. Yeah. Well, this has been the Piper Carter podcast. You're listening to Piper Carter. We had such a phenomenal guest. Thank you, Queen Heroine, for stopping by. Um, you can definitely check us out on DetroitIsDifferent.net. That is the podcast network that has all of the podcasts uh, that are, you know, here in the Detroit area. Also, too, you can check us out on our Facebook group because that's where we have lots of conversation. Piper Carter podcast. Of course, check us out on our IG, PC.podcast. And, you know, share, like, subscribe. We're also on YouTube and on all streaming platforms. So we want you to share, like, subscribe, share, like, subscribe, share, like, subscribe, and we will see you next week. Peace. Welcome. Welcome back home, baby. Thank you. Thank you. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter Podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. Subscribe, like, and share on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher to the Piper Carter Podcast to hear the stories and thoughts of Piper Carter. Follow Piper Carter on Instagram at Piper Carter. Welcome.